backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is backroom politics. Live from a split screen edition, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, broadcasting live from New Jersey, which is one of the focus states in today's election. We'll talk about that here later. But joining me as they do every Tuesday, she is the former uh, counselor for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. She is the attorney that we know as Sharmila Chari. Hi, Sharmila. Hi, Justin. Great to be here. And joining us as they do every Tuesday, he is the former Joe Biden political operative, longtime Washington insider, and a bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and Washington, D.C. He's a man that we know as Dan Litton Esquire. Hello, Daniel. And also the person reminding Democrats to get out and vote today. Yeah, yeah, you everyone. might want to. Yeah, we, we're going to talk about that here later. Uh, it's raining, and don't even bother. Is, it's raining, don't even bother. Wow, the NAA was talking about those phone calls earlier. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but he's already chimed in, but he is the man that we know as the former Undersecretary of Commerce who has served at last count under four presidents. He is long-time Senate staffer, long-time Washington insider. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, gang. And finally, joining us, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, hello. Uh, good afternoon from the landlocked city of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm going crazy here. There's no water to be seen anywhere. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Hey, um, we. I, I cannot believe that we're talking about this again. Uh, I cannot believe that this is a discussion point. I cannot believe that we have to open up another show with this. But just a little over one month after the worst mass shooting in U.S. history, just over a month later, we are talking about another mass shooting, this time in Sutherland Springs, Texas where a, uh, where a uh, former Air Force airman, uh, David, uh, Devin Patrick Kelly, took a high-powered assault rifle, otherwise a uh, Bushmaster, which it's commonly referred to, and a pistol, walked into First Baptist Church of uh, Southern Springs and opened fire. All was said and done, 26 people were killed, and the youngest one being 18 months old, the oldest one being 77 years old. There are 20 injured right now as of a briefing this afternoon. There were uh, at least four that were still in critical condition, according to the Department of Public Safety there in Texas. Uh, the suspect or the assailant, this, uh, Devin Patrick Kelly, was found dead in his own vehicle after a after a chase that ensued after two citizens approached him and engaged him in gunfire. Uh, the the stories coming out of media sources and out of folks in the Department of Public Safety in Texas are nothing short but horrific. Uh, another senseless 
senseless, cowardly act of violence that just did done. But we're doing that with Los. We're just literally coming off of the numbness of Las Vegas, and we're now dealing with this horrific. And this one involves the murder of children, which is just a horrific thought unto itself. But everybody's saying we send our thoughts, we send our prayers, which we here at Backroom Politics, we do. What I do want to say is enough's enough. This is not, this is a show about politics. This is a show about civility. This is a show that is about making government work. What doesn't work is now another just senseless mass shooting, which now has murdered children, needs to go away. I don't care if it's a health, a mental health issue. I don't care if it's a, a gun issue. got to give, and that's what we're opening up with today. The number one question I've got is on this. Uh, is, is now the right time, contrary to what a lot of Republicans are saying, is now the right time to discuss sensible gun control? I want to start with you, Admiral Ken. This happened in your home state of Texas. Um, so I'm going to take a, a very unprofessional pause and say whoever's typing, stop. Um, so back to the question at hand. Um, I think that you, you've, you've encapsulated it properly. The only thing that I would do is I would try and give my brothers in the Air Force, brothers and sisters in the Air Force, some cover by saying that this person was a dismissed former airman. He, he was court-martialed and summarily, summarily drummed out of the service because of his violent uh, actions prior to the shooting, he, he did a number of things that, uh, that got him confined um, uh, then and dismissed from the service. Um, you know, being, being a, 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 I guess, a former gunner, being a former um, member of the NRA, um, I can tell you, it really does not help our cause, people who believe in, in, in the right to carry or the right to, to have guns. Uh, it does not help help our cause when when this kind of thing happens. We most of all don't want to see um, uh, the the weapons used in in, uh, in in an improper manner. I don't have anything found to say with regard to um, whether it's right that people should have weapons. Uh, I, I I I can't add that to the argument. Only thing that I can say is that, like you, Justin, I am disgusted. This is ridiculous. Um, at the uh, at, at the, uh, the 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 breaking news last night, that the Air Force uh, had not informed uh, the FBI uh, about this person's criminal past. Person, a friend of mine sent a note saying, "Is this a you know is this a computer systems breakdown?" And my response back to him that there is no technology in the world that's going to make up for stupid people not doing their jobs. Um, but even that being said. Um, I think that given what the person's history was, the um, some of the, the the vitriol that has been um, published as the, he said and, and why he was um, doing the things in his mind that he was doing them, uh, I think it's important to note that bad guys bad guys will always be able to get their hands on guns, and I hate to say it, but. Um, we, we've we've created a society now where it's just a little bit easier to do than it needs to be. 
Alan, Alan Moore, you know, the Republicans, our party, it seems to be the ones that are saying that it's either now is not the right time or we don't need to politicize this or, you know, this is a mental health issue, as the president said in his statement after being briefed on the situation. Notwithstanding the mental health issue, when is the right time for Republicans to bring this up? Or is this another instance where we're going to kneel down to the National Rifle Association? Well, it's always the right time. I, I, I don't think there's ever not a, a right time. And let, let's face it, um, in American politics, when something happens, something big, something um, uh, especially a, a disaster, that is the time. People's attention is turned to it. Um, those who say it's not the right time fear that momentum will somehow turn and will do we. This is not Alan Moore thinking, Alan Moore talking. This is sort of the, the, the wisdom of those who say it's not the right time. They fear that some kind of momentum will overcome the logic and and will we'll, there will be efforts to swing the pendulum too far the other way, or we'll have an ugly, disgusting debate where people will be accused of uh, 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 trying to take away uh, the Second Amendment rights uh, on the one hand, um, uh, or um, uh, simply bend down to to the NRA. When when we had just just weeks ago, literally uh, the the disaster in in Las Vegas, we learned about these these things called bump stocks, um, these retrofit devices that allow a a, a semi-automatic uh, assault weapon to function very 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 much like uh, a fully automatic. Um, it turned out that there was a rule at the ATF that allowed those to happen. There was a movement. This has not gone away, the movement, but uh, a notion that, you know, we really should fix that. Even the NRA said, we have never advocated these things. Um, and that that's a process that is still underway. It's not as though nothing has happened. There's a debate about whether you need legislation or whether you can do it through the regulatory process in the ATF, the fear of those who who want to do it uh, uh, in the regulatory fashion is that if we bring up uh, legislation on the floor, uh, particularly of the Senate, we'll never get off it because it will be open sesame to any and all uh, amendments of all the pet issues that have evolved over the years. Now, um, now, the fact of the matter is, though, we got to do well, something. Well, it's time. It's always time. It is. It is time. But let me jump in and ask, Sharmila uh, Achari. You know, the thing about it is, we, we, we see the Republicans on one side, and the Democrats, who are. Over the top, you know, we, I, I've heard more than one talk about uh, just not unsensible gun control. When the Republicans, when, when Republican voters see a Democrat, they see somebody who wants to 
repeal the Second Amendment. They see Democrats as people who are going to confiscate all their firearms. Is there a responsibility of the Democratic Party that they've got to modulate that tone and look at this sensibly and look at it practically for all of America? Are the Democrats even capable of that? So I think there's two different streams to this argument. And interestingly enough, you're talking to someone who just uh, this morning reread Brett Stevens, a conservative uh, New York Times op-ed calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment, and who, and personally, I've actually felt that way for a long time because, you know, and this might not be a popular opinion, but I don't think that you can really achieve any meaningful gun control or sort of restrict access of guns to people who shouldn't have them, such as this, this gunman, on, if, if gun rights are always going to be subject to equal protection and the due process of law. I just think that it is impossible to achieve the society and the paradigm of gun access that we all, I think, universally agree on if the Second Amendment is included in the Constitution. But I think that, you know, beyond that, to more directly answer your question, I think it's when talking about modulating our tone, I think that Democrats and Republicans do need to acknowledge that when, when things like this happen, when tragedies like this happen, it's not just a gun issue, right? Yes, I mean, gun control and gun access plays a huge role in these issues, but it's never just that. It's always gun access plus something else. In this case, it was gun access plus domestic violence. In Orlando, it was gun access plus homophobia, plus, you know, wanting to commit an act of terrorism. In Sandy Hook, it was gun access plus mental illness. It's, guns are not the only issue in this equation. And I think that Democrats will do themselves a favor in the debate overall by acknowledging and, and trying to meld those fears together. Because until we do, if, if, the, if the chant is always just gun control, then I think you're right, Justin, it's never going to sway. It's never going to sway the person who believes the opposite. Dan Lipner, is, is Chuck Schumer and the leadership in the Senate and Nancy Pelosi and the leadership in the House are they capable of coming up with a message that doesn't scare the living bejesus out of every gun owner in America? No. Um, and, <laughs> but I want to go, I, no, I want to go further down that point. Cause I'm sort of tired of being the adults in the room on this stuff. Cause exactly a week ago, it was, we reported it live on this show when it happened. Uh, the attack in New York happened with the U-Haul truck, and the president of the United States didn't go an hour and a half before saying that the a a program that had been in existence for 26 years uh, was the cause of this issue, and Chuck Schumer was to blame for it, and therefore it has to be repealed after one incident and suddenly the democrats are supposed to be the reasonable people in the room that same group of folks that are terrified that their hunting rifles are going to be taken away or the or even ignoring for those folks the reasonable hunters and the reasonable well-trained folks who learn how to properly handle a firearm secure them clean them store them all of that good stuff even accounting for those people, there is no reasonable human being that needs something that can shoot that many rounds of ammunition that is designed to take down human beings. 
there is just no person in this country that needs this outside of law enforcement and the military. And so, so we, so we are to, losing to a just battle to, to even begin discussing it with those people. So, Admiral Ken, let me touch on that point. Hold on, Sharon. Admiral Ken, let me just touch on that point real quick because bring, Dan brings up a point that, that, that really kind of torques me a little bit. I hear a lot. And by, the way, a I, I agree, by the way, I, I agree with Dan, by the way. Go ahead. Okay, but, but, but here's the thing, and maybe I should go, and I'll, I'll also go to Alan on this one too, but I'll start with you, Ken. The Republicans have used this talking points on all the talking head shows that when they say, well, maybe we should restrict the sale of assault rifles, those uh, high-powered M16s, M14s, the new M4s, these Bushmasters, it's AK-47s. Every time somebody brings up and saying, look, let's do an assault rifle ban, everybody uses the talking points, well, what happened in New York? Are we going to ban Home Depot rental trucks? Uh, 9-11, are we going to ban airplanes? Or are we going to ban knives if somebody gets stabbed? That argument has lost its thunder, and it now becomes ludicrous, yet the Republicans continue to use that as their crutch as their as their Waterloo almost is that a sustainable argument for the Republican Party going down the road? So uh, I think the answer to that question is whether it is a sustainable argument for the Republican Party going down the road or not. That will continue to be their argument. And the only thing, quite frankly, the only thing, and this sounds really really harsh, is that. You know, we, 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 we collectively, we, we Americans collectively watch these horrific events happen on the news over and over and over again. Sandy Hook, Las Vegas, now, now uh, this, this small town in, 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 in Texas. And it's always, you know, somebody else that, that this happens to. And our hearts and our prayers go out to them. And uh, the, the talk show hosts, talks and prayers go out to him and all the news anchors thoughts and prayers go out to him. But you know what, you know what, until this, you know, crap um, comes home to someone, one of these talking heads, be they a a news person or a politician or um, a, a talk show host that really can, can, can really, do more than empath- try and empathize with the with the pain and anguish that these people are going through. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. It, you know what? I was sitting here watching you know watching the president the other day from his trip in Korea, and watching the dichotomy of his comments over this compared to the the guy that drove the truck down the uh, the bike path in New York last week, night and day. But you know what? It, the thought crossed my mind. You know what? If this had been Ivanka or Jared, or God forbid, one of his grandkids that this had happened to, oh my God, you'd see some movement on this. You would. And that's sad to say, but you know what? Until crap comes to, to roost, and that's, that's become the American, the American approach on things. Until it happens to me directly, you know what? That's not really my problem. And that's sad. It's but, real sad. But Alan Moore, you know, we heard Steve Scalise not just a couple of weeks ago after Las Vegas 
And after he is just now coming back to work in the halls of Congress as the uh, as the uh, House Whip, he even says that his position on the Second Amendment and 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 banning and gun control hasn't changed at all. We heard the president literally today say that uh, had there been gun control regulations in Texas. Dozens more people would have been killed. Are they literally believing this bathwater that they're drinking? I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 we all know that that the president himself has not spent a lot of time thinking about most issues, and in, in, including this one. So I certainly don't use him as a measuring stick. Um, in terms of the Kim comment of of it striking close to home, we have certainly seen um, politicians in some of the locations where these absolute disasters occurred, and they were on site and they were having to 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 to, to if not feel the pain as much personally as it would for a family member or a close friend, um, meeting family members of the of the bereaved. Um, uh, the, 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 the problem with, with the gun issues is misinformation, fear, and let's acknowledge no good answer that we have any high level of confidence is going to work. Having said that, and because we always see, well, if we had done this, that still would have happened. If we had done that, that still would have happened. Fine, I say. Fine. I, I can intellectually go along with that. What the American people expect is their elected representatives to step up and do something. They know you can't fix everything. They know there's 250-plus million guns in this country, a rate of about... Ten times, ten times for our population, what the runner-up country would have, I believe. So we've got this extraordinary volume of weaponry, and then we've got all of this demagoguery about the politicians who, are, who, who want to take our guns away. So let's go buy more guns and let's load up on ammo. Let's just, just look at what happened when, when, when President Obama was uh was elected it was one of the biggest bursts of activity in gun manufacture and ammunition ammunition manufacture in the history of the country i don't blame the president for the the uh, the increase in arms but i attribute it to him it's it, we're in this crazy business of believing the most exaggerated claims for what people's objectives are. Fine. When something like this happens again and again, and sometimes every one of these varies, right? And we can't say, gee, if we'd only had this, if we'd only done that. We, in this case, we say if the Air Force had done its job and reported this guy to the FBI, he would not have been able to buy these arms this way in this place, chances are he would have come up with similar arms elsewhere. 
at a gun show like, on the but, internet. Who knows just, what? But, but, but now, it's not just, an excuse to do nothing. We have no, no, but now, let me interject us to do something. There's the point of everybody saying that, well, if we had background checks and the Air Force had done their job and if we had mental health records that were a part of this, there's still the loophole. Everybody I've talked to in public safety and in the Texas legislature have all said those he still could have bought it through a gun show loophole. He could have absolutely gone and done a one-on-one buy on Craigslist in Texas and still be legal because that's the loophole. So, you know, when I say that if there had been, you know, uh, if the Air Force had done their job, that to me is a red herring. Am am I off base on that, Alan? Well, it's – no, I mean, that's (laughs) – the the Air Force, for God's sakes, needs to do its job, and the and the and the Department of Defense and all of the services oh, need to go back and take a look at whether they are sharing this kind of information with other authorities. the The idea here is not to find one thing that's going to fix the problem. It's close every door you can. I want to close the gun show loophole. Don't get me wrong, or the internet loophole. Um, I don't like the family loophole myself, but, but, but you know, we don't need to fight all of these. The, the, the fact of the matter is doing nothing is nothing, and, and, and that is, is, is an embarrassment to, to uh, our, our political system. We have to try to do things that will, will help in this way or that way. There are things we can do that are not going to destroy the Second Amendment, that will make it somewhat more difficult for these guys like the killer in Texas to get their weapons. Can they, all, can they still get weapons? Probably, almost certainly, but let's make it harder and harder and harder. Let's take steps. Let's do something and not right. use the fact that we can't fix the problem as a, a, a reason to do nothing. Right. Sharma, let me go to you. Um, it would seem to me that the that the Democrats, if they wanted to really connect with gun owners and connect with a majority of American gun owners that believe that sensible gun control is not out of line, and by sensible gun control, I mean background checks, mental health records inclusion, etc. It, it would seem to me that the best and logical force behind that would be Mark Kelly and his wife, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who herself was a victim of gun violence at the hands of somebody not mentally stable enough, but still managed to get a weapon. Why won't Democrats put more faith, more energy, and put people like Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly up front to connect with other gun owners? Because, again... Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly love their guns. They are big supporters of the Second Amendment, but still believe in sensible gun control. It would seem to me that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi would have them at the forefront of this, and they're not. So, Justin, we've talked about this before, and I think that you, as a political insider, someone who knows these personalities, you know that Gabby Giffords is both a victim of gun violence, an advocate for sensible gun reform, and an avid gun owner and shooter. 
most people do not, right? Most people associate Gabby Giffords with Democrat, gunshot victim, wants to take away guns, right? That's, I, I think that, you know, the, the thought behind that is well-intentioned. I think that what could be a more, uh, something along those lines is, te- is Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly teaming up with a more moderate or somewhat right of center Republican to advocate sort of a bipartisan or kind of, you know, common sense set of, set of guidelines that their group has, has vetted and thinks should be, you know, enacted into law or enacted into regulation that comes from both sides of the aisle. Because I think that at this point, the relationship is so toxic that you're that a Democrat at the forefront is never going to make, is never going to make a real dent in this issue. And I think that, and I think that Democrats also need to be focusing on kind of, and this is, you know, a bit of a tangent, but need to be focusing also on the, the larger ideal of kind of changing society's perception. And this is a much harder, you know, harder goal to achieve, but changing society's perceptions of the role of guns in our lives, right? Changing the notion of gun ownership from a right to a privilege. Because I think that, like, short of that, and maybe this is the answer you're looking for, but short of that, I don't see any meaningful way forward on this. Dan Lipner, do, do you agree that, that that America just doesn't know about Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly? Uh, you know, because again, I think I think Sharmila may be right. I mean, the fact that I am of the same ilk as somebody like a Michael Bloomberg and the concerned mayors, uh, the fact that I am of the same ilk as a Gabby Giffords and Mark Kelly, I may be of the same ilk as a Joe Manchin, but I just named. Three prominent Democrats. I just named uh, a prominent Republican or independent slash Republican. Is Sharma right? The fact that Mark Kelly and Gabby Giffords aren't the right people to put up there and, you know, avid gun owners, avid Second Amendment people who believe in sensible gun control, that America just won't buy their, their rhetoric? No, we're, we're, we're asking the wrong question entirely. Uh, Alan's point actually goes down, goes down the rabbit hole, but goes down the rabbit hole in the right direction because by the numbers, most Americans are in favor of reasonable, sensible gun control. And this includes the NRA. Most people that have some sense in them don't think normal human beings need the kind of weaponry that was involved with this Texas shooting. And I would challenge uh, everyone on this call uh, and I'm actually sitting in front of a computer and tried to find it and cannot. Uh, since there were the, the NRA's proverbial good guys with guns involved with this incident, what was the weaponry the good guys were packing that helped stop this guy before he took his own life with his own weapon? Does anyone know? I actually don't. Yeah, I can't find it. It was a 12-gauge shotgun. One of the gentlemen that, that actually confronted Kelly – the, the assailant in Texas, Kelly, had a 12-gauge shotgun. So, so something that most reasonable gun owners and everybody from hunters to people who believe in self-protection, that people who are not completely anti-gun, it, it, a weapon that could be used for other reasonable purposes that includes self-protection or actually hunting, that those folks would not be disputed. That would fall into the category of the a plurality, if not a majority, of Americans. Question is the small number of people that want to own these things that that have been dubbed assault weapons. And this is to Alan's point that 
the kind the, the kinds of gun purchases that both the guns themselves and the ammunition that went gangbusters during the Obama administration, even though the Obama administration did little to nothing to limit access to guns. And in fact, Obama signed legislation that allowed guns in more public places than other presidents before him. But the rhetoric out there, the rhetoric out there was the Democrats and this black guy who's in the White House is going to take your guns away. That wasn't just used as a political as a political rallying cry. That was used as a sales tactic. And this is the, the right. simplicity of the argument. It's a follow the money. And there are some, some cynical people making an awful lot of money on that kind of fear, and they're making it on fear of people who are crazy enough to think that they're going to use one of these weapons as somehow – forming their own citizen militia, fighting the government or their own self-protection when I, I have trouble imagining that any of these assault weapons have ever been used outside of police or military in any kind of good guy scenario to actually stop anything. I'm sure there's an outlier out there and somebody's going to be glad to make a comment or call in for that one case, but I doubt the numbers balance in any meaningful way. For, for that logic to hold. But nonetheless, that's what we're fighting against. And because we're trying to concede part of this argument that, you know, the reasonable per- person here here and there and the Gabby Giffords that are pro-Second Amendment, even though the Second Amendment has a very particular language about well-regulated militia, in that world what the w- words regulated mean, and they fall quickly silent, Either that or a pushback that goes, well, regulated doesn't really mean what regulated means in that case. Really? It's insanity to even try to appease them because they are simply talking. They want these guns. That's it. Sharmila, you had a comment? Oh, I was going to, uh, you know, back to Dan's original point about the financial interests, and Alan made this point as well, right? Alan said that when President Obama was elected, uh, you know, Gun, gun manufacturing went up significantly. Any time that one of these mass shooting happens, the shares of gun companies automatically receive a bump because people become afraid of gun control regulation, right? I think that just goes back to the point that this discussion has become so toxic. It's become so already uh, burdened with extremes that I don't think that, you know, sense, to Dan's point, I don't think that sensible voices in the middle are really going to make much of a difference at this point. Caroline, do you agree? Uh, I, I, I go back to the point that I made before that um, in order for people to hear sensitive voices, more high-profile people have to speak out in a in in tones that sound much more um, in touch with what's going on than than than, than nominal empathy. I think just to your point, one way that. No, go ahead, Sharma. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think one one thing to your point of how Democrats can um, can reach out to gun owners more is um, is learning more about guns. Right. To be honest, the things I know about guns are what I read on CNN and NBC News after one of these mass shootings. And to, to be frank, I will fully you know fully admit that I've very, very poor education on, on the distinction between, the type, between types of guns and types of ammunition and all of this is, 
is very new to me. And it's something that I've never had a desire to learn because that's not my world. But I think that the average Democrat will do themselves a favor by learning more about the types of guns that gun aficionados use and, you know, learning the benefits of them in order to be able to converse and make more, I think, appealing arguments to their, to their fellows, right? It might not come from elected officials, but maybe if your everyday liberal learned a little bit more about this and showed some more empathy to gun owners rather than, you know, join the chorus of just, you know, restrict all assault weapons, you know, these are never necessary. I think that that could potentially go, go some way in, in bridging the gap in this discussion. Alan Moore, what is it going to take? I mean, we, we thought that, you know, we, we always thought that, well, it's going to take it directly impacting somebody in the Republican Party. I give you Steve Scalise, and, and Congressman Scalise is standing firm on his position on second right and gun, and gun rights. Uh, we've now seen them take the lives of innocent children. What is it going to take to get this country to have a sensible common sense dialogue about guns in America? Well, you know, the dialogue, the, the dialogue goes on all over the country with, uh, uh, with families, with neighbors, with friends, with, uh, with people inside uh, uh, churches. What we find though, is this massive, um, this is this is a, a shorthand, but but this urban rural divide, this um, coasts uh, versus the great center uh, of the country divide. Many 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 uh, different examples, of course, uh, that work to the contrary. I mean, I think Vermont and Maine, for example, uh, who, who are sort of known as being um, uh, liberal elites, if you will, uh, are both huge gun owners states um uh the 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 problem right now in washington is that uh cynical uh, unfortunately as it is both sides politically find it in their interest to try to sound reasonable even though when uh when there's a chance to do something one or both sides will find a reason to say no for example we could probably pass a bump stock prohibition, legal uh, prohibition, um, in a heartbeat. It, it's conceivable that it would be unanimous. There might be a handful of votes that voters that would say no, members that would say no. But the Democrats are not about to call up a clean, single-issue, prohibit bump stock bill because they've got a number of other pet issues that they want and that their that their main supporters would. So there, uh, I don't, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, uh, I, I don't, I'm not trashing the Democrats for not wanting to go along, but for the, for the Republicans, they've got to decide, okay, are we going to pull up a, some kind of a, of a gun measure um, uh, knowing that it will be on the floor for days. There will be, uh, major efforts to try to embarrass uh, uh, us and turn this into a big political issue. Um, sorry, let me click this. Um, and and uh, uh, I mentioned that 
and that's the cynical part. It's, you know, we could do this, but they won't let us kind of argument. Um, uh, both sides, both sides, sadly, find it in their ongoing political interest to r- r- resist some of the change that people are talking about. Hey, Justin, one, one thought. Yeah. Uh, if, Ken. Um, you know, I would, and it, this goes back to to the fact that your your perspective on this, I think, is different from the rank and file American. I bet you, if I go downstairs to the lobby of this hotel, and I ask five people who Steve Scalise is, five of them will go, "I have no idea who you're talking about." No, I, I agree with that. You know, but but you know, the, the one thing that 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 bothers me. And again, this goes to a little bit of what everybody's been saying this evening, is that, you know, it's automatically a Republican thing. I want to un- record that two Republicans, uh, the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, and his lieutenant governor, Karen Polito, Karen Polito, the Republican, again, let me re- rephrase this, the Republican Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts signed in the legislation on behalf of Governor Charlie Baker a ban on bump stocks. Lieutenant Governor Karen Polito, a Republican, Lieutenant Governor from Massachusetts, has gone and said that now is the right time to have discussions on sensible gun control, and they're making it an issue in Massachusetts legislature and in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. To me, this is not a party-based issue. To me, this is something that is a public safety issue. Do you want people having assault rifles that were designed for tactical, military, and law enforcement use in the hands of non-trained civilians? The answer is no. Are we saying take away the Second Amendment? Absolutely not. That's a constitutional right. But you cannot justify to me, you want a 12-gauge shotgun, you want a 22 hunting rifle, that's fine. You want a bolt-action 223, that to me is fine. But to say that you need an AK-47, an M-16, an AR-15, an M-4, or any other tactical rifle, tactical assault weapon, whether it's an Uzi, Regardless of gauge of what of, of of armament or, or ballistic armament, does not matter. You do not need it, and you cannot justify to me. And until this country, until somebody in this country has the backbone to say, you know what, NRA, keep your cash. I don't need your A plus. I'm going to show political courage. This is about saving our children, not about saving my job. Then we'll start getting somewhere. Until that happens, we're dead in the war. Okay, I've gone off on a rant. That being said, we're going to take a quick actually, break. Can, can, can I, that, that rant actually has, has, a, has a point that if you want to know one of the things that Democrats need to talk about, stop talking about what the guns look like and what the names of them are and talk about their abilities. And anything that can put 50 rounds in the air in less than a minute – or is easily modifiable to, to do that? Yeah, normal people don't need that. They don't. Look, Dan, using that argument 
And again, I apologize I'm going out on a rant, but this is something that has bugged me for a long time. And now it's taken the lives of innocent children. That's not new, Justin. Don't forget Sandy Hook, for God's sakes. You're talking about children. Oh, no, no, I'm going to watch this event. I'm, no, 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 I, I agree with you. I'm talking about just this event. We, we, we haven't even talked about the Sandy Hook. We haven't even talked about Virginia. No, Tech. I know. You just, we are it's ne- just that you keep saying, and now it's children. It's like it's been children, Sandy Hook being the, the foremost example. I see your point. I see your point. And you're right. You are absolutely right in that. You, you, are, you are dead on target with that one, Alan. Absolutely. So let me rephrase. It continues to kill children at a young age. Sandy Hook, as Ellen pointed out, and, and, and look, we, you know, look at what happened this weekend. The bottom line here is this, these are guns that were designed for military use. Kalishnikov died a depressed, angry man because of the fact that he designed a weapon that was used to, in warfare and tactically kill people. That's what that weapon was designed for. Do not, do not throw garbage in my face and tell me that I use it for hunting. That's bullcrap. That doesn't work. But until people in Congress, until somebody in the administration gets smart, gets a backbone, and shows some political courage, children and innocent people are going to be continue to be killed until we do something about it. Now is the time to do it. There, we're done with this. Hopefully, we don't have to talk about it again. Unfortunately, we will probably talk about this yet again. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's Election Day here in the United States. Two big races that everybody's looking at. Also, we need to discuss... What is the Trump shadow or the Trump pump-up? We're going to talk about that here on the best talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in, uh, call it uh, two and a half, three minutes. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. I saw you last night and got that old feeling. When you came inside, I got that old feeling. The moment that you danced by, I felt a thrill. And when you caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once again, I seemed to feel that old yearning. And I knew the spark of love was still burning. There'll be no new romance for me. It's foolish to start. That old feeling is still in my heart. I 
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. To the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, live from the Garden State of New Jersey, where one of the key focused governor race, governor race watchers are uh, keeping their eye on the results coming in later on this evening. Joining me from the other parts of the country where everybody's got their eye on, particularly Virginia is Admiral Ken Carradine, but wait a minute, you're down in Georgia, correct, Admiral? That is correct. We're anxiously awaiting to see uh, the outcome tonight. And then joining us, I know he's in Virginia, at least I hope he is, that is the man that we call the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, you are in the great state of Virginia where everybody's looking at that race. Yep. And uh, joining us also from New Jersey, the Garden State, Sharmila Achari. And then uh, nobody really cares about D.C. It's not even a real state. It's Dan Lipner. So beautiful. let's get – what's that? I said beautiful. If you haven't caught Christie's latest, um, it's, it's – especially for you New Jersey guys, it's just must-see TV. Oh, good grief. Anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the key races that everybody's looking at. Uh for those who have not taken a lot of attention and judging from some of the voter turnouts, not a lot of you really care. Uh two governor races are being contested this week that's got a lot of attention, one of them here in New Jersey, where the Lieutenant Governor, Republican Kim Guardano, is taking on former Goldman Sachs executive Phil Murphy, the Democrat, uh, in in a strange race that has gone back and forth as far as uh, closing the gap and pulling away. The last uh, poll results I saw this morning gave uh, the Democrat Phil Murphy at least a 13-point advantage. Shama, what is this more of a matter of Kim Giordano, Kim Giordano just – can't do the job, or is this more of she cannot get rid of the stink that is Chris Christie on her? I think it's certainly the latter. Um, you know, Kim Guadagno is not well known by many New Jerseyans, but she is primarily known as Chris Christie's lieutenant governor. You know, Governor Christie has 
abysmal approval ratings in the state. And I think that, you know, as much as uh, Lieutenant Governor Guadagno has tried to get away from his shadow, it hasn't worked. And the, the association is inescapable. But, but the problem that everybody kind of glomps on to is the fact that, you know, the Lieutenant Governor Kim Guadagno has the stink of Chris Christie. A lot of people are saying that uh, Phil Murphy, the Democrat, has the stink of Wall Street. This isn't the first time a former Goldman Sachs executive has been trying to become and may become the governor of this state and really hasn't done a good job in some people's opinion, particularly in places like Monmouth County, Bergen County, uh, Monmouth County, uh, Middlesex County, more moderate and conservative parts of the state. Right, but keep in mind, you know, where I live in Somerset County or Bergen County, some of the more affluent parts of this of this state, there are a lot of current and former Wall Street employees who, you know, may lean more conservative, but implicitly trust a Wall Street guy to look out for their interests, even if he's de- even if he is a Democrat. Ah, um, let's look at Virginia real quick, where uh, the current lieutenant governor. Uh, uh, Dr. Ralph, uh, and I can't, I, I don't his name incorrect. Alan Moore, help me out. It's Norsham, North, correct? Ralph Northam. It's Northam. Ralph, Ralph yeah. Northam. Northam, thank you. Uh, against former Republican Party chief and many thought a moderate voice in the party, uh, Ed Gillespie. That has become a very, very tight race. Uh, Alan Moore, and everybody's got their eyes on it. Eleanor, why is this race so important today in Virginia, and who's going to get the governor's mansion in Richmond? Well, the the national significance, uh, which is why there's so much attention. Well, there's two things. One, there's not much going on today, right? It's it's this oddball off year, uh, New Jersey, Virginia, uh, out of sync with uh, with the rest of the country, but it it, it highlights. Um, attention because there's, there's so little else happening. So that's the first thing. Secondly, in terms of Virginia, Virginia is interesting because it's it, it had it had been pretty red and then it, pretty Republican as a state, and then it started to go blue, and it's in, increasingly been trending uh, Democratic uh, in in uh, presidential elections um, and in state and state uh, elections statewide office. They have both. Both Senate seats. They've they've had the uh, the, the the governor's mansion um, f- uh, for uh, ever ever since uh, the the unfortunate end of uh, of Bob McDonnell um, and uh, as as Republican governor. But it, it's been trending um, blue. So the, the 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 reason it's so interesting is it's closed up tight and. If it should go back to red, that would be a huge signal for 2018 about what the potential is, given a very unpopular president in so many parts of the country, um, that that in a state that Hillary Clinton won uh, pretty handily, that Barack Obama won um, with, with huge majorities and massive turnouts of of African Americans all over the state, as well as the increasingly uh, liberal suburbs in the northern part of Virginia, um, that that uh, 
if a, if a Republican could pull this off, uh, it would suddenly be uh, a formula to look at all over the country for 2018. How did Gillespie do it? What do we need to do? What can we learn from him? He has used um, some Trump-like tactics in terms of of uh, huge negative attacks. Um, nothing new with that uh, across the country, and certainly nothing new here up in Northern Virginia. The, 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 the Democrats have just been pounding Gillespie as well, and some third-party funding <coughs> has pounded him. Um, but, but, and he has kept his distance, Gillespie has, from Trump. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's this delicate act. There are parts of the state where, where Trump uh, continues to be popular and, and he wants to be able to use that popularity there, but he doesn't want to be uh, seen spending a lot of time with Trump or defending the president in Northern Virginia, where the, there's so much anger and distress uh, after the uh, election results of a year ago um, that, that Northern Virginia sort of says, okay, now it's our time to strike back at least in a small way at, at what happened uh, a, a year ago. So um, it, it's, it's uh, closed. Uh, Northam had, uh, had a good lead and it started to close up, uh, increased spending, the negative stuff. Northam early on um, had a, had a, televised campaign in which he uh, sort of proudly uh, called the president a, a narcissistic maniac. Um, and, uh, and then when they began to realize that, that that was not a great message for uh, significant parts of the state, uh, those ads disappeared. And, and Northam now has an ad where he basically says, look, if the president will help Virginia, I'll work with him. And he goes on to say, I don't think he will. He wants to gut education. He wants to do, do this and do this. But it's a much more measured uh, kind of uh, uh, of message from the from the early uh, narcissistic maniac uh, uh, talk, which they they obviously concluded was over the top and and, and potentially unhelpful. Right. So, uh, in, in the debates that they've had, they're both fairly reasonable. It's interesting, um, uh, and yet. Uh, uh, the negative uh, uh, messages that come across make it look like there's these two evil guys that that, that uh, are up against each other. Admiral Ken, as a Republican, do you feel that there's a shadow being cast over the Commonwealth from 1600 Pennsylvania? I, I think, you know, probably this election, more so than the one in New Jersey, uh, is going to be viewed as a referendum on uh, Trumpism, if you will. Um, I'll point out again and again and again, when given the opportunity, Donald Trump's not a Republican. He has somehow been able to Svengali, the Republican Party, into following him, but he's not a, he's not a Republican. The person that runs uh, for office with an R next to their name is going to be in some form or another equated with the president and the messaging that he, he has basically espoused uh, since uh, since he took office. Ed Gillespie uh, won a pretty hard hard uh, hard fought primary, and he did it by going Trump. And so uh, that's left Republicans like me scratching our heads, thinking, okay, so you know, do do we toe the party line? 
do we basically, you know, start drawing the line and not here, uh, make it stop here? Don't know. I will say this. Um, my neighborhood in Alexandria is it's a nice place. Dan's been there. It's you know we let Dan got in the neighborhood and didn't get stopped by the cops, so it's a pretty you know it's it's it's, it's a nice, <laughs> but it's, it's a welcoming place and 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 Alan too for that matter. Um, but um, uh, but you know I did not see you know Republican Party people knocking on doors. The Democrats were were relentless. They came to my door twice. My spouse told them you know. We're not one of you people. And uh, and I said, well, well hang on. Let, let's hear what he's got to say. We might be. I don't know. We'll see. So, um, I'm, you know, it, it's going to be a very interesting turnout. Uh, I saw a, uh, a part of a, a commercial last night where um, I, I think it was the, uh, the, the, uh, the Gillespie folks um, were um, – had an ad up where a, a truck was chasing children down the street, you know, making them fear for their lives, saying that Northam was going to, um, you know, unleash ice. No, 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 that wasn't oh. it. Nope. Sorry. The bottom oh. line, the, the bottom line is, you know, it's come down to some, some pretty mean spirited stuff in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the last hours of, of this election. Uh, I, I, I probably will stay up a little bit late tonight um, in the newly found City Cigar Club here in Atlanta to watch the outcome of this election. Justin, if I might, um, the, the ad Ken was talking about, the reason ahead, I want to, is because it, it was a very, very controversial ad that was put up by, by some kind of Latino group. Um, and it went up once and then it was all, went, went viral on the Internet. It showed it was a Northam ad, uh, that is a pro-Northam ad. Northam had nothing to do with it, but this group put up an ad where a pickup truck uh, with a with a uh, Confederate flag um, uh, off the back of it and a Gillespie sticker on the bumper was driving through neighborhoods, and little children were running screaming in fear, and. Uh, Northam, it was, it was, it was, you know, basically um, vote for Northam. Um, although his campaign had nothing to do with it, it took him days to disassociate himself from it, uh, which got a scolding for Northam from from the Washington Post. And you know, the Post doesn't like to scold uh, uh, Democrats, but in that particular case, it was such an outrageous ad. Um, and he was so quiet on it for days that uh, that they came after him. So that was that was that was what that ad was. So, but it, it's indicative of the kind of ugliness that 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 right. has, <laughs> that we have been just deluged with every moment on every television station you can imagine. Right. Millions and millions right. of dollars right. trashing but, each other. But when so it comes back to, to what your your previous point about the these these two candidates, you have boring versus lackluster, plow horse versus petting zoo horse. Those ads are the most exciting thing about the race. I mean, yes, it, it, it will matter as far as what the election finally finally reveals as far as which side turns out, but even that's gonna be tainted because of the weather. As Alan correctly pointed out, it's raining here. So Northern Virginia right 
I don't know what the weather okay. is in the rest of the state, but Northern Virginia turnout is going to be depressed because it's cold and rainy. Uh, that's so just going this, to be the case. This, so let me ask this question to you, Dan Lipner. You know, is it a bad thing that we get slow and methodical and boring instead of loud, obnoxious, and 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 full of garbage? I, I mean, it, it's no, rather, it, hey, give me give me somebody like a Harry Truman. I'll take him over Trump any day. I mean, absolutely. But unfortunately, American politics is rarely gets lost in the weeds on issues. We get personalities. We get all these other things. Uh, I, I mean, Barack Obama was hopey changey. Uh, the, Donald Trump. The most people who no no but I, I'm very serious about this Donald Trump and the people were talking about these polls today most people who even who voted for him thought he was be was an awful candidate who was incompetent for the position but they just wanted the feeling of change and this is what American politics has been arguably our show is is the outlier as far as talking about substance and what issues might actually be out there. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I don't live in the, in the great state of Virginia or the Commonwealth of Virginia, the Commonwealth, I believe. Uh, the, as far as I know, the state is reasonably well run with no major issues that are going to make or break the state. New Jersey has had different issues because the, the, the economics of the state have been all over the place. Um, both from Democrats and Republicans alike. So there are some real things that are on the ballot based on the candidates and what they do. But New Jersey, but uh, Virginia isn't that. Virginia it has been reasonably well run under both parties for quite a while. So it's a different creature. And to, to the credits of both parties and the state legislature, Virginia has been even keeled and run themselves fairly well. So here's here's a question for you. If Dr. Ralph Northam is defeated by Ed Gillespie, is there reason to point the finger at the damaging, well, some would say damaging, others would say truthful uh, disclosures by former head of the DNC, temporarily Donna Brazil? Did Donna Brazil could some point and say Donna Brazil and her revelations were a reason why Ralph Northam would have lost? No. I want to use Sharmila first because you were close to the situation on the Clinton campaign. Right. So I think it is a bit of a stretch to say that Donna Brazil's revelations um, can, you know, will, will have a direct impact on Ralph Northam. I think, I've I've been to private events where Hillary has stumped for Northam, but I don't think that she was publicly out there doing it. Tim Kaine has been, but I think Tim Kaine is much less associated with sort of the negative aspects of Hillary Clinton and of the Democratic Party than than others. And so, short answer, no, I don't think that Donna Brazil's allegation will have a lot of impact on Northam, uh, unless you count the fact that people see that it will convince those who who already are leaning right or who are undecided that maybe the Democrats are just as corrupt as the Republicans. And so it doesn't matter. 
So let me ask this question to you, Sharmila. How damaging was the revelations of Donna Brazil of the the cornering of the market, if you will, for Hillary and the the blocking out of uh, Bernie Sanders? Well, what I mean, what broke my heart on two levels was. A, the fact that this happened, the fact that the DNC was so dysfunctional and that all this is now being is now being publicized, and B, that what was publicized wasn't necessarily accurate, right, after Donna Brazil's sort of all the, all the back and forth that's going on around this. Because after Donna Brazil's uh, article came out in Politico, then, you know, she backtracked and said, oh, no, of course the primary wasn't rigged, but, you know, but I did find this kind of, evidence of, you know, I didn't find a smoking gun that the primaries were rigged, but I did find this kind of evidence of an inappropriate financial relationship. And then it was later shown that actually the, the contract said that the financial relationship only really kicked, only kicked in at the general election. So, but I, I think the headline did a lot of damage. And so I, it, it obviously was not, wasn't a shining moment for our party. And I hope that, you know, over time, over the next few days and weeks that, the truth about this comes out because I think that it's incredibly important for the Democrats to be transparent and to, to show the voters and especially those undecided voters and the, the people who swung left to the Bernie camp that we, we need to be one big tent. Now we can't be, we can't be consumed with these internecine struggles. Uh, Dan, are you agreeing? This is, no, this is why we lose. Uh, no, no, I, I so the uh, so Bernie Sanders is the wrong conduit for this argument, as even though he was the person who was at at the final stages of the primary fight with Hillary Clinton, he still got beat by both raw votes and delegates. However, he was also worth noting that maybe in the Ooh, 25, 30 years, if not more, that her and Bill Clinton have been in the Democratic Party, also involved with the building of the Democratic Party establishment at all levels and in many states, including through her husband's presidency, that maybe a handful of contacts and had some loyalty floating around there versus Bernie Sanders, who's been a Democrat for about 20 minutes. Now, the Democrat who really has a gripe, even though his campaign went nowhere fast, was Martin O'Malley, who actually talked about it during the early stages of the campaign that things seemed as though they were designed to make sure other Democrats never get a chance to see who these other people on the stage were. He would be a more useful conduit because Martin O'Malley, a successful mayor of Baltimore, governor of Maryland, and one of the young guns that was being groomed for whatever next step was going to be either running for Senate or running for president in this case, arguably did not get a fair shot. So, yes, there were some problems, and lo and behold, there's some gambling in this establishment that people are going to try and cook the books in their favor and get their people in places that are going to be most helpful. But at the end of the day, Bernie Sanders lost because he couldn't get people outside of the liberal elites in those liberal elite places to vote for him. If he could have gotten anyone to vote for him in southern states, he would have been the nominee. So that's where the actual issue is. But 
yeah, Sharman was right. We need to be transparent, and I'm in favor of good democracy there. However, the party infighting argument that's going to go on because of this is going to miss some of the points and also focus on the actual wrong result that needs to come out of it. That Bernie Sanders doesn't get to say that, that this infrastructure that he just parachuted in to wasn't fair, that's part of the deal. He, he was the new guy. Now, arguably the Republicans also tried their damnedest to make sure Donald Trump didn't steal their infrastructure. The difference is they just failed. And there, a lot of folks are really wishing he, he wasn't the guy who walked away with the nomination. I don't know if that makes the Republican Party cleaner or their party more dysfunctional. That's, that's up for you all to determine, but that's the actual issues that are at play. Hey, Justin. So, yeah, go ahead, Alan Moore. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to just say a word on this question of whether, whether all of this could, could, could make the difference um, in, uh, in Virginia today. Answer, it could. Um, but we won't know until we see the outcome. If it's super close or if Gillespie should pull it out, I think those revelations will then become much, much bigger targets of what might have made the difference. Because I live one block from the People's Republic of Arlington and here in Northern Virginia, and, and I have many friends who, who live there, and I go to a church that's, that's in Arlington, and there are people who are active, aggressive Democrats and were big Hillary supporters who were outraged at not the content, but the timing. They weren't happy with the content, let it be said, of, of uh, Donna Brazil's um, uh, revelations, <laughs> whatever they are. <laughs> Because they do kind of shift, as Sharmila accurately pointed out. Um, but but uh, they were absolutely furious that that stuff would come out the week before the Virginia election, which was closing, because it so infuriated and depressed Democrats, whether they were Hillary supporters or Bernie supporters. Um, it was just, oh, no, really? We did that? Oh, my God, this system and our party is embarrassed, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm angry, and maybe I'll vote, maybe I won't. I'm not predicting massive impact, but if this thing's really close, um, uh, especially if, if Gillespie pulls it out and we look at look at data of voter turnout and so on, um, it, it, it's conceivable that it, it, it has made a small difference at the margin. And when things are close, you can't afford any, uh, any problem at the margin um, uh, if, uh, if it hurts your candidate. That's a different take. Yeah, go ahead. Ken, go ahead. So a so, uh, little background. So when I were at the RNC last summer, uh, we were walking out of the, uh, the convention hall, and uh, I, I got a little bit ahead of him. And I looked over my left shoulder, and I saw Justin talking to this black lady. And so I did the $6 million man Steve Austin zoom in thing, and I saw that it was Donna Brazil. And I, I, I went running over, and Justin said, 
he, uh, he, he chided me as, as acting like, like a teenager, you know, uh, seeing a pop star. And, and that's, that's quite frankly, because even though, uh, I am and have been for a long time, a, a, a good, a real, real Republican, unlike, unlike POTUS, uh, Donna Brazil is someone that I always kind of admired. Uh, I like, I've always liked her style. Uh, I've always liked her brashness, and and I and I and I thought, quite frankly, and I still think, uh, still think pretty highly of her. She made she made some some mistakes when she was in leadership, and that's uh, having been in leadership, is an easy thing to do. That said, and, and, uh, that that said, uh, this morning I saw something that troubled me, and 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 what it did was it confirmed for me, at least in the case of CBS, that. The, Comments or the claims that Republicans, a lot of my fellow Republicans, have about the news media being in the bag uh, for the Democrats and specifically for Hillary Clinton uh, was confirmed. I watched uh, I watched Donna Brazil this morning get interviewed on the on the CBS Morning Show. They were absolutely angry that she had basically written this book and made the comments that she'd made. And if you don't believe me, go back and yeah, go back and take a look. And so I think part of the problem that that a lot of us have is that don't don't get me wrong the Republican Party right now is not something that I'm proud of it is not something that I take a lot of pride in saying that I'm a member of but the same time is you guys got some point your shoes too and you need to shape I do need to say. Um, so, uh, Admiral Cannon brought up the fact. For full disclosure, I I do know Donna Brazil. Uh, I I have a you know a, a fondness for Donna Brazil, uh, even though, like Ken said, I'm a devout moderate Republican. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for Donna. Uh, Donna's been very kind to me as far as giving me time and and talking to me and kind of giving me her perspectives. Uh, quite frankly, I, I I think had this had Donald Trump not been president, had another Republican been president, I don't think that this book would have had as much of an impact on the Democratic Party. And I think that it potentially does. I think that you know, for all of the uh, finger pointing that we get with the the Democrats pointing at Republicans, how we're just a corrupt party of entitled douchiness. There's enough of that to go around in the Democratic Party, too. I think what Donna did is just pointed out, you know, she aired the dirty laundry. Whether right, wrong, or bad timing, I think that what Donna did was showed some political courage. I think what Donna did uh, made – uh, made Democrats uncomfortable and hopefully made them rethink the way that things are done at the DNC. Uh, just as I hope that the fiasco that we're dealing with in the White House makes Republicans do the same, you know, internal self-exploration that says we got to stop doing the same screw-ups. We don't have to be like this. We can be better than this. Um, is Donna doing it by book? She'll probably make some money on it. I'm not going to fault her for it. 
I think she should have done it uh, in a different venue, but I'm not down in Brazil. But like I said, I wanted to get that out of the way. So as Admiral Ken pointed out, um, I, I, I do know Donna and, and, and have a lot of respect for her. Um, that being said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about – oh, you know what? One race I did want to touch on uh, with Sharmila. Sharmila, I want to go to you, and then I'm going to go to Ken. I mean, not Ken. I'm going to go to Alan. We start off um, – one of the big races everybody's following is the mayor's race in, in, uh, in New York City. It's not so much that who's running against them. It's the fact that many are questioning outside New York City is, how the hell is Bill de Blasio getting a second term? Uh, Sharmila, how the hell is Bill de Blasio getting a second term? I think it's largely because very, very few people can even name the woman who is running against uh, Mayor de Blasio. I couldn't even name her until maybe two days ago. Uh, he's can, can you name her right now? He, it's it's, it's, it's uh, Maliotakis. Okay, what's her first, first name? name is Karen. I think it's Karen. It's Karen. I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've proven a point. Alan Moore, yeah. you, you know, the times that we've seen some of the great mayors and arguably uh, Mayor Giuliani, Mayor uh, Bloomberg, uh, de Blasio kind of came in with a clown hanging over his head. De Blasio looks like he's going to skate into a second term, barring any sort of disaster. Uh, is this a point where New York City – is kind of telling the rest of the world, you don't get it. We, you know, we'll pick who we need. Or is this a sign that the Democrats are starting to get their act together, starting with a, a mayor's race that they thought they were dead to? Well, to beat, to beat somebody who's not popular, uh, you have to have somebody who can get more votes. And, and uh, it's a, it's a democratic city. He, uh, he hasn't been he hasn't been a disaster. He's certainly not been that popular, but but nobody emerged um, uh, to 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 challenge him. I mean, the Bloomberg example is just so unusual and out there. And the guy spent tens and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for for his elections and and was <laughs> was straight, uh, straight speaking and and um, and highly competent and. And ran a uh, ran a, a really quality administration by by most measures that I'm aware of, um, and um, so it's hard to say. Well, gee, wasn't he a Republican? Well, he started as one, and then he changed his mind. So the 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 New York City race, which could have been interesting, ended up being kind of a nothing. Let me just add one word about the about the Donna Brazil stuff. Um, uh, I happen to know her as well, not well, but uh, I've always admired her. I'll remind everybody, though, that what she was doing for a living before she came in to, to uh, uh, head up uh, temporarily the DNC was a talking head for a, a couple of shows. And, and in her case, she was accepted and, and respected and paid uh, for, that, for that work. Um, and then when the uh, when the big hack uh, uh, of the DNC occurred, it turned out that that uh, there was credible evidence that she had shared some questions prior to a debate with Hillary Clinton. Um, and uh, although she denied it, uh, 
there's was still a cloud out there and, and, and CNN let her go and nobody else wanted to pick her up. Uh, she was sort of tainted. So she had some scores to settle uh, in all of this and figured if I can do a book, I can be back on, on TV. I can be tough. I think I've got something to say. Even Tom Perez, the new head of the DNC, has acknowledged in the last 24 hours, yeah, we made some mistakes in 2016. People need to trust us. We've got some cleanup to do. Um, and and uh, so when, when the question came, if, if Hillary Clinton had been president, would this book have made as big a splash? If Hillary Clinton was president, this book would not exist. Anyhow, right. I wanted to just add those comments. Right. That's, that's yeah, I mean, it's also worth noting Donna Brazil came in after Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was, for all, all of the problems this is causing, Debbie was no walk in the park for anyone. So that's worth noting. Oh, wait, wait a minute. And it's I mean, surprising how little blame she's it's... being apportioned in this scandal. Oh, let, let's 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 call this what it is. If anybody has any direct blame to take on this, I don't think the and I don't think that the bad guy here is Donna Brazil. It's it's the unsung bad guy in Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Debbie Wasserman Schultz has always been a political animal. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was the type of she would never stab you in the back politically. What she would do is she would reach in, grab your heart, pull it out, put it on a silver tray, have a press conference, make you eat your heart, and then say that she had <laughs> done good for her constituents in Florida. Uh, that is and, – and yet she's getting zero blame in all of this, like Dan said. How is she getting away with that, Dan? Justin, I, I don't want you to well, – I, yeah. I need you to stop, I need you to stop sugarcoating things, man. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, 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 I mean, it, it's bigger It's bigger than Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I mean, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, by all accounts, did not run the, the DNC well. She did, her, she did her job for President Obama, and he, as far as his reelection, she did that part fine. Every other part of her job as chairwoman of the DNC failed horrendously. And that includes including, the including including the impartial running of the 26 campaign, Dan. Well, I would take it. I I would actually add the the a, a a slight little item onto that, at least giving the pretense of running a a impartial primary, which she seemed to <laughs> fail horrendously at. No, no, I mean. As, as was correctly pointed out during the primaries for both parties, technically they are they are both <laughs> private clubs, so they are not public organizations. They are private organizations that are entitled to run their programs the way they want to run their programs. And it, if some if people would like to change that, they are welcome to. And there is a legitimate gripe saying that the system is closed off to outsiders. That is true. However, Debbie Wasserman Schultz failed on the, the keeping the party infrastructure not just in Washington but nationwide held together in any meaningful way. Fundraising to keep the, the system up and running to make, make sure that, that races up and down ballot, and this is also the buck does not stop only with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. It actually goes higher, and this is one of my complaints that, that has been aired on this show for a long time, 
it actually stopped with the Obama, the former president of the White House, for doing a terrible job as far as down ballot Democrats. So, yes, there's a lot of house cleaning that needs to occur, but Debbie does deserve blame. Dan, I'm going to ask you again. Debbie Wasserman Schultz says, are you saying that blame goes higher to Barack Obama and the Democratic White House as the head of party? Absolutely. Wow. Okay. You said it, you said it many times. Yeah. I just wanted to just make sure that it hasn't changed. That's a, that's a bold statement. Bold statement. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, I know – you can't believe it, but we decided to open up the fence to the crazy house, and we let President Trump go to Asia. We're going to talk about that when we come back in two minutes. This is Back in Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back in three, yeah, we'll call it three minutes. Why not? Give everybody a chance to go get some tea. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us.
segment of Backroom Politics. I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell, from the Garden State, New Jersey. I am, in fact, in Atlantic City. Also in New Jersey is former Hillary Clinton lawyer. She is the person we know as Sharmala Chari. In Virginia, we've got Alan Moore. We've got Dan Lipner in Washington, D.C., and filling out the roster, batting cleanup. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine, down in the Peach State, Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, I uh, want to finish up, in case you don't know, um, for whatever reason, we decided as Americans it would be a good idea to send President Trump to Asia. Uh, as such, so far we've seen no mushroom cloud. Uh, we have not heard of any large-scale diplomatic incidents that have taken place. Uh, there's a couple of people in Japan that are angry because Donald Trump dumped a box of fish food into a koi pond, which apparently is considered very poor form in Japanese circles. Uh, but it's Donald Trump, you know. <laughs> anyway, but let's look at the he real also, substance. Well, also telling Honda, Honda, Toyota, and Mazda to open up plants in North America because, you know, not as though they do that or anything. Fake news, guys. Fake news. You're taking away my points, Dan. Yes, we'll get to that in a second. But wait a minute. I think Don't go there, Justin. It'll be fake news on you. Yeah, no kidding. But no, 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 because he wants – Donald Trump went to Toyota and said, we want you to build, you know, auto manufacturing no, plants in America. Not, good God, you guys. Don't no, no, I, I, I went to the quote on this. I, 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 I went to the actual quote on this. And, yeah, he followed up with the don't – is that rude? I don't think that's rude. Alan, what do you think doesn't imply that he doesn't know the cars were made in North America? All right, okay. Or Japanese he, cars were made in North the America. The whole context, he says, you guys are doing a great job building cars in America, and we appreciate that. And then he acknowledged that there's a new plant that I think Toyota and Mazda are jointly building, which he was saying, go to it. And then in the context said, so come on, build cars in America. But he had acknowledged, people just said, gee, the guy doesn't even know that, that they're building. He already acknowledged it in the previous paragraph. It's sort of, and it's like Justin talking about the, 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 the fish food. The prime minister poured his box into the koi poop, the koi uh, uh, pond, before Trump did, and and yet the first stories that came out were like, "What? What a moron! He pours the whole box in." Yeah, the, right after the <laughs> prime minister did. Check it out, guys. Check it out. Anyway, okay. Um, so, so there's, there's so much stuff that he screws up. We don't have to make stuff up. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So wait a minute. Let me. Let, I will. The, the fish food thing. The fish food thing. I am going to defend. I'm going to. Ha- I'm, 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 that is true. The fish food thing. 
I'm standing by my sourcing. The the Toyota comment. Justin, I will give Justin, 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 go look at it. Go look. I did look at, at it. it. You I'll, will. I'll, don't I'll, embarrass yourself Alan, further. Alan, Alan, I'll tell and I'll tell you why in a second. Let me defend you on one thing. Dan Allen is right. Donald Trump's quote, okay, uh, is. If you look at it, it's meandering, it's all over the place, it's not comprehensive in any sense of the world. Uh, this is what he said, okay, and this is the exact quote. Try building oh, your cars in the United yes. States. What's that? No, 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 I'm, I'm defending you, Alan, okay? I know, I know, I just can't believe we're wasting our time um, debunking fake news. But anyway, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I, I will say this. The fact that they're even talking about it, I mean, what it is, is his loose style of speaking gets him into trouble. The reason why we have to talk about this is because half the time we, we get him, he screws up, like you said, he screws up enough on his own. And he has. You know, the, the hypocrisy of his trip to Asia, and you know when he comes here and he says, you know what, we're gonna we're, we're gonna show North Korea the way it is. We're gonna do all of this, and then when he gets to the Korean Peninsula, and now has a completely different tone. To me, if I'm if 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 I'm Premier Moon in South Korea, I'm trying to figure out to myself what does this guy actually believe? Is he going to defend us? Or is he going to create a mass casualty incident by provoking North Korea into bombing us because of his stupid remarks? That's what bugs me about Donald Trump. His loose style, his unscriptedness in a sensitive powder keg area like Southeast Asia, like the Korean Peninsula, is scary. That's dangerous. But I will say, you know, it's the, you know, what he said was, quote, and this is according to the Washington Post. Try building your cars in the United States instead of shipping them over, Trump said. Is that possible to ask? That's not rude. Is that rude? I don't think so. The social media and CNN ran a fact check. Trump asked Japan to build cars. It already does. What he said was the way he did it was loose speaking. It, was, it, it gave the impression he did not know. He does know that there are cars built in Toyota's building. The reality is that's dangerous. That's bad form, and particularly where people in Japan need to be, you know, they're very protective of holding status and, and being called out. It's, it's a dangerous move by Donald Trump, in my opinion. But I also agree with that. Alan, Alan, you were right in that one. But, Alan, here's the bigger problem is this is a guy that has said, no to fair trade, no to trade agreements. He wants to debunk all the trade agreements with Southeast Asian partners like South Korea and Japan. Is he going over there? Is he going over there with loose expectations, or is he really? Does he really believe that he'll be able to come back with better trade deals? So <laughs> he doesn't say no to fair trade. He says no to the deals that we have. Uh, uh, cut with countries all over the world that we got our, our lunch handed to us. I don't happen to agree with that. Most other experts um, in 
in the world of international trade don't agree with that. That isn't to say that 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 uh, trade agreements are not a process of give and take. We get some stuff. We give some stuff. Um, there's no doubt that in, in the case of China, um, we, we gave up a, a fair amount of stuff. We got stuff. Um, we can always reopen, relook. We're looking at NAFTA. His problem is he uses this exaggerated rhetoric to make us look like we're complete fools and that there's nothing in these deals that, that, is in our, uh, that works to our benefit at all. It's simply not true. It plays on people's fears. It pays on, plays on people's ignorance. That's what I uh, uh, resent so much. He's, he's going over there. He, they're not going to renegotiate any trade deals on this trip. Now, his, 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 his uh, trade representative, Robert Lighthizer, um, is on the trip with him. Um, he, he's got his Secretary of Commerce with him, but, 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 but unfortunately for him, he's become news in a whole other context. Um, uh, but these, you know, these are these are scripted con- these are scripted conversations with heads of state where you make a few points, and when he's making those points, he's going to be saying, you know, we want, we we're we're not entirely satisfied with these deals. We 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 have our team here. We want to engage in some uh, some uh, additional conversation and and see if we can't uh, improve what we believe are are mistakes, problems, uh, issues of unfairness in these agreements. There's, there's no deals that, that get cut. And with regard to his comments about North Korea, I mean, my God, we've been so critical of him for so long and with, with, with good reason, I think. I myself welcomed, welcomed. I was stunned, but I, was, I welcomed the fact that he said specifically to North Korea, we hope we can work this out. We hope we can we can 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 negotiate an agreement. Everybody's stunned because you know just weeks ago he's saying to Rex Tillerson, "Don't waste your time talking to North Korea," and then he's over there in in South Korea saying, um, "We need to talk. We need to work this out. We're optimistic that we can work this stuff out." Alan, I want I want to jump in here and ask the question: Does that those are mixed signals? Those are mixed messages. The question is, which <laughs> one is I'd rather have a mixed message than a totally crazy message like we used to have. Yeah, but the mixed message That's says what I want to Dan, Dan Whitner, go, go ahead. Dan, Dan Whitner, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not certain. Like, I, no, I'm with Alan. I, 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 I was happy but also confused. Uh, for the the tempered rhetoric that suddenly started coming out uh, with North Korea. And there's some part of me that is kind of wondering if that tempered rhetoric is going to change as soon as he's out of range from North Korean artillery. Uh, that's sort of where my head's at. I have trouble believing that's going to last. I I I kneel down to Dan. I, I I would love to be able to persuade you that your instincts are wrong, but I have no way that I can do that. Ah, Sharmila, do you back up Dan on this? I literally what Dan said was exactly what was in my head. That I bet you he's playing nice because he's on their territory, and he realizes that a lot of bad things could could potentially happen to him. The second he's a safe distance away, I think I I completely agree with Dan. Wow. Okay. Admiral Ken, I, mean, I just don't know. Unanimous I, I, support. That's what I like to hear. I, 
No, no, no. I predict nothing. All I'm saying is I understand your angst. I hope I hope your instincts are wrong, but I can't tell you they're wrong. Admiral Ken, how dangerous a game is the mixed message that Donald Trump is playing? Uh, you know, I have spent so many hours of my life on this show talking about the crazy stuff that, that POTUS does. You know, all I can say is that early this morning when I woke up, uh, the first thing I did was put a Twitter post out basically imploring or posing the question, if we, if we ask him nicely, will the Japanese, Koreans, the Chinese keep him over there? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Hey, you, uh, Alan alluded to it earlier. Uh, the, the hits just keep on coming for this administration. Uh, several sources are talking about the fact that uh, Robert Mueller and his investigative team have enough to bring charges against not only uh, former National Security Advisor, former NSA Chief, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, but also his son uh, might be in play on that. But Alan alluded to this earlier, and and I want to bring this up real quick. Uh, Secretary Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross has been caught up in a little bit of controversy that's been stirring up uh, regarding his financial interests. He is apparently involved in a uh, in a venture fund that is somehow directly connected with uh, Alan Moore. Fact check me on this one. It's his niece, the niece of, of Vladimir Putin, or one of his daughters. I think it's I think it's his son-in-law. It, it, so it's so it's his daughter by way of marriage, son-in-law of Vladimir Putin. Uh, that yeah. has raised a lot of eyebrows. Let me go, Dan. Leonard, is, is this enough? I mean, does does Wilbur Ross now become part of the Russian collusion discussion? Uh, is there enough to now he's got to start lawyering up? I mean, it might not be the Russia collusion, but it's hard for me. I mean, based on what's just broken, obviously there's a lot to go. But if this proves to be true, uh, I think Donald Trump's going to be shopping for a new Secretary of Commerce soon. Or maybe Mike Pence will be doing the shopping. <laughs> is this really a thing? Oh, it's a thing. It's absolutely a thing. If these if these oh, records are, are proven to be true, it's absolutely a thing. Sharmila, your voice has gotten much deeper since the last segment. Sharmila, is this a thing in your opinion? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize that question was was aimed towards me either. <laughs> well, usually, usually uh, yeah, I, say, again, usually when we say Sharmila, that's usually a good sign it's aimed at you. <laughs> I didn't hear that part. Everyone was talking over each other. But regardless, I, Never. again, I find myself in total agreement with Dan, right? Robert Mueller is, you know, is a thorough and fair prosecutor. If he has amassed the evidence that, that there is enough cause to bring an indictment, then yes, this is a thing, and I think the White House should be very worried. Uh, so well, let's, let's, is, let's not hang on, hang on here. Let, let, let's not start talking about indictments of Wilbur Ross. Let's let's say we didn't see indictments. Sharmila was saying oh, if there's evidence of, of for an indictment, I thought, whoa, let's get our facts first. 
<laughs> Sorry, my, my apologies. I, I, I thought we were still talking about Michael Flynn. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, uh, you know, I know it's, I know it's hard to really tell all the cabinet secretaries and Trump advisors that are involved in the Russian investigation in Mueller's office without a handbook. But yeah, this is what we're talking about. Wilbur, the secretary of commerce who has direct business ties to Vladimir Putin's son-in-law. And apparently they're making billions of dollars together. Go ahead. Close that one. And failed to disclose. Okay. So, so, so w- th- there are many unanswered questions here, and we need answers to those questions. There's no question, uh, no doubt about that. Um, I, I wouldn't know about uh, making billions of dollars. It turns out that Wilbur Ross may well have been exaggerating his personal wealth. That's a sidebar story of the last 24 hours that, that's also a little bit embarrassing, that he may not be the billionaire that people thought. Um, <laughs> not, that's not, that's not that he's not wealthy. Which would not be his president. Yeah. But 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 anyway, he 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 divested himself of a bunch of stuff, but he kept a share of ownership in a couple of hedge funds. It turns out that one of these hedge funds, which is run through some some island a group that's tax that's got these you know these tax havens, there's a hedge fund which he reported ownership in. But the hedge fund's uh, individual investments include uh, a fairly sizable, apparently, investment in some joint venture with a Russian shipping company that the that that Putin's son-in-law uh, is very involved in. Um, that was new information that came out of these new. I think are we calling them? Are they being called the Paradise Papers? Um, and yes. Lo and behold. Um, we find that the hedge fund has an investment that's that that is directly uh, tied to uh, Putin's um, son-in-law. Did right. did Wilbur Ross know that? Did Wilbur was Wilbur Ross ever involved in that? Did Wilbur Ross have a duty to report that particular fact in his disclosure statements? I don't know the answer to those, but we're going to find those out because. <laughs> Because we need to find out the answer to those questions. And if he failed to disclose something he was required to disclose, and it showed uh, further ties with uh, the Russians, then he is in a heap of trouble. And he may conclude that whether he's got legal jeopardy or not, he's got big time political jeopardy. And, and depending upon how much he may have chosen to ignore or accidentally ignored requirements um he he could it it could be too much for him i don't know i'm not predicting that i just think there's there's a lot of questions now that need answers and and once we have more information then i think we can make better guesses about uh uh uh, what what kinds of further actions the administration may want to take need to take and Justin, so, just to uh, jump in now that I'm fully caught up. Oh, thanks for thanks quick, for sorry, quick point. <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say quickly that I think it's the the more damning thing I think for the Trump administration is the fact that now failure to disclose, as Alan was pointing out, has become this much larger pattern. It's not just Wilbur Ross, Wilbur Ross, Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort. 
all of them, you know, all of them, part, part of the charges against them and part of what's fueling such suspicion against them is because all of them at some point have failed to disclose meaningful information. And so I think that even, even, if, that the, even if there was no sort of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, deliberate collusion with Russia or deliberate collusion in the foreign, with a foreign power, the, the fact that there's all this failure to disclose is obviously going to lead the special prosecutor down a lot of different rabbit holes to, under, to uncover why there was this failure and what else it, is being hidden. Because as we saw with Paul Manafort, the charges aren't just stemming from Russian collusion, right? They are far-ranging. Well, okay, that that leads me up to a a a segment that we could theoretically start on this show every week is a segment called "All right, who's next?" Uh, who going around the table? Who is next to be either under the microscope of Robert Mueller or about to get indicted by Robert Mueller? Alan, we'll start with you. Bob Menendez. Bob Menendez, you think Bob Menendez? You guys are supposed to. You guys are supposed to laugh. I I left. I've been <laughs> leaving him alone for for months, uh, and now his case is before a jury, and we'll know in a couple of days. Uh, do you think? What, do you think, what they do you think he'll be convicted? I don't, but I don't know. You know, that's why we have trials. Um, so I, I'm kind of guessing he'll skate, but. But but uh, based on, on what happened to Bob McDonald, how the how how the, the McDonald prosecution got or conviction got overturned, but I don't know, you know, we'll see, we'll 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 know soon. Wow, impressive redirect there, Alan. The the going at, going from the president of the United States to one of a hundred senators. Good redirect. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was just too it was too, it was too good a too good an opportunity. I mean, I think, you know, there are targets, there are numerous targets of opportunity that were just, that were just listed. I, I, I do think it'd be fascinating if, if um, either Jared Kushner or Donald Jr. Um, came more directly uh, or, or, or publicly into the sights of Robert Mueller, because I think that's the kind of thing that could really unhinge um, uh, the president um, who believes this is a witch hunt anyway, notwithstanding um, more and more and more evidence of contacts with the right. Russians, not necessarily coordinated, right. but my God, numerous. Um, uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, I do, I, I do fully expect both Flynn's to be indicted. I, I, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. I, I'm, I'm curious as to, why that you know that 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 could emerge um As, beyond that I, I just don't know okay admiral ken who's next uh we're coming up on the beat army season so i'm going for general flynn <laughs> Dan Littner? um i'm going with uh flynn soon followed by kushner Charlotte. I think Kushner Kushner's building uh, building finances uh, for his property in New York creates creates a ripe opportunity for other problems, and uh, I, I I think there's a lot more there. Charlotte. Yes, everyone beat me to Jared Kushner, and I'll also add Carter Page. 
Ah, we forgot about the whack job Carter Page. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> hey, just out of curiosity, uh, the two attorneys, who ironically Dem- Democrats, uh, Sharmila and Dan, I want to ask you a question. It appears that Carter Page gave testimony to the Senate committee without legal counsel. Does that make him an idiot or does that make him smart? An idiot. An absolute moron. There we go. Okay. That being said, by the way, the correct answer is who's next? It's it's going to be the Flynn's. Flynn and Flynn Jr., that's the correct answer. On behalf of uh, the Honorable uh, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Littner, and, of course, the always, always fantastic to have our in-house uh, re, uh, Clinton counselor, Sharon Wachari. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week live with continuing political discussion and coverage from our nation's capital. Uh, you can find us on blogtalkradio.com slash backroompolitics. You can follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash backroompolitics. Follow us on our Twitter account, at backroompolitics. You can also email me at justin at backroompolitics.org. Uh, special thanks to our crew tonight. Special thanks also uh, to our, our friends over at American University who have been giving us some great shout-outs. Uh, they've been really supportive, and apparently they, they like the program over there, over there at the Political Science Department. Have a great week, America. We'll see you, and uh, tune in next week. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.